0: Conversations at the College, a fortnightly podcast where we delve into interesting stories from those within the St. Stephen's College community, talking to people that make the college truly diverse and connected. Now, let's get into this week's conversation. Welcome to the official podcast of St. Stephen's College. Now, today's guest is a man who will essentially, has been part of the broader college community now since its inception more than 25 years ago. Please welcome Father Andrew to the very first edition of Conversations at the College.
1: This is pretty exciting. And to be number one, I'm number one in nothing. So to be
0: first at something is pretty exciting. Do I get a ribbon? We can, we can arrange one for you. Excellent. <laughs> it's good to have you here. Now, you've been the St. Stephen's College chaplain for, what, 20-something years, I think now?
1: I, I started as acting chaplain in July 2000. So this is my 22 years as chaplain at the school. So been here for a little while. But I, I was actually involved with the college before that because one of my best mates was Father Michael Irvine, or is Father Michael Irvine, and he uh, was one of the foundation board members. So, so I was actually w- involved with the college from before its foundation, when it was just an idea, and certainly have been involved with, you know, with the college since it, since it opened. So, so I've been around for a while, but
0: only chaplain since 2000. Now, you were ordained under the Anglican Catholic Church, but before we delve into that a little bit more and look at the driving factor that uh, got you into priesthood, you're now a married Catholic priest. How hard was that to achieve, given that generally speaking uh, most priests that are Catholic uh, aren't married?
1: Well, it, it, it wasn't that difficult in many ways, but um, but I guess correcting the idea that there aren't many married Catholic priests. So I guess if we look in recent times, um, some of the married Catholic priests around the world date back to about the 1950s. Pope Pius XII actually Um, gave dispensation for celibacy to some married priests coming from other jurisdictions, mainly from the Anglican Church. And so those priests have been around for a long time. Um, Certainly it became a bigger thing more recently with the establishment of the Ordinariate, but we can circle back to that. But it's also interesting to understand some of the history. In the very early church, of course, priests were married, and we can even see that from the Bible. St. Peter, you know, the first bishop of Rome, was in fact a married man, because we read in the Bible about how Jesus healed his mother-in-law. It's a bit hard to have a mother-in-law without being married. Uh, And certainly for the first couple of hundred years of the church's life, there were married clergy but by about the 4th century it became the norm for priests to not marry although there was a divergence between the church in the west which we now know as the roman catholic church and the church in the east which became the orthodox church and also the eastern rite catholic churches okay. uh, where in the in the east there were still married priests and it didn't actually become I guess, a mandate in the Catholic Church, that is, the Roman Catholic Church, until the 16th century. So it's it's actually a late thing to to have it as uh, as a, a mandatory discipline uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, but certainly in all of the Eastern churches, of which there are 23 See, Eastern I've right Catholic fascinated. churches. Yes, because um, when we talk, talk about the Catholic Church, it's not just one single body. They're all all of the Catholic churches, and I'll use the plural because uh, there are more than one, uh, all all in communion with the Bishop of Rome, the, the Pope. The largest of them by far is the Roman Catholic Church. However, there are 23 Eastern Rite Catholic Churches, the largest of which actually is in Ukraine. Yeah, there's 4 million um, Ukrainian Catholic Orthodox or Orthodox Catholic members, and most of their priests, about 90% of them, in fact, are, in, are married, wow. and all of that, those churches are in communion with the Pope and are part of the Catholic Church in its fullest sense. Um, so it's a, a uniquely Western thing, as in the Roman Catholic Church, to have celibate or unmarried clergy. And really, of recent times, you know, there have been a number of dispensations, mainly for priests coming from other jurisdictions, such as myself. And where where it is it is possible for someone to get a dispensation because um, celibacy is a is a discipline rather than a dogma, and by, by that I mean that it's a a discipline that's imposed in in the sense of celibacy, but but it's not mandatory teaching of the church. So it is something that the Pope can grant a dispensation for, which which um, obviously happened in my case.
0: Is it a long process to get that dispensation from the Pope?
1: Well in in my case I first made application to become a catholic priest in 2011 and it took about 2 years to go through that process and and the dispensation from celibacy is just one actually small part of the entire process you know it starts off with you you know submitting a, a dossier of documents to say firstly that your I guess your education and t- training background is there that your family is supportive of your move you need a letter from, you know, someone who is Catholic to say, you know, this guy's actually okay. Okay. Um, And so you put all of those documents forward, uh, proof of baptism, those sorts of things. So you put all of that stuff forward to the uh, CDF in Rome. Uh, They then write back and say, we see no reason why you can't proceed. And then you have an interview with a Catholic bishop, which I did uh, with one of the assistant bishops in Brisbane, uh, who then after that interview says puts forward a, a letter of recommendation. Okay. And then you just go through the process. So it took, in my case, about two years. Some people have done it in less time, some people longer. But around two years is a typical typical time. And And one of the last things that happens is that you receive a letter from the pope to say or at least my superior did uh, to say that it was okay to proceed with um, with ordination in the
0: catholic church and with that is the dispensation from celibacy okay now as we said earlier you started off uh, as an anglican catholic priest is the anglican catholic church still going and How did it come to be given that both separate faiths, I guess, have such a big following in their own rights?
1: Sure, sure. The Anglican Catholic Church was actually founded as a continuing Anglican Church. So what happened was, I guess, there were people who were not entirely comfortable with some of the things that were happening in the mainstream Anglican Church. Uh, And so this group was started, which was an international movement. Uh, In Australia, it was called the Anglican Catholic Church in Australia. And that movement was started for people who wish to maintain a traditional Catholic faith, but within the Anglican tradition. And there are some things which are uniquely Anglican uh, when you start looking, or English if you like, uh, when you start looking at the nature of the church. And so the Anglican Catholic Church in Australia does still exist, although it is very much smaller because all of the the larger congregations and many of the uh, the priests and people actually did join the catholic church at around the same time as i did Uh, so it was over a period of probably about 12 months with individual priests and congregations becoming part of the catholic church in what's known in australia as the personal ordinariate of our lady of the southern cross which is a group within the catholic church of people who were formerly Anglican or have some connection with the Anglican Church who wished to become members of the Catholic Church, so were able to be received into the Catholic Church. So you, you mentioned that both groups have a very large following, and that's, that's certainly true. I mean, the Catholic Church, of course, is the largest Christian denomination in the world. And yes, they do have very large followings, but, but I guess there is still something unique about Anglicanism, and I suppose that you could delve into the history of the Anglican Church if you really wanted to, but, but really there is something unique about Anglicanism, which is why it came into existence in the first place, uh, and so it was a way of being able to keep the Catholic faith and all that that entails, as well as those particular English traditions which had developed in part in the Catholic Church in England, okay. uh, but then became a separate group in Church of England, which became the Anglican Church. You're an electrical engineer by trade. Electronics, actually. Electronics. But yes, electronics engineer. Yes, So and, and still practising, believe it or not. <laughs> so what's a, I mean, what does an electronics engineer do? basically well, what I do is um, develop electronic products so um, which I have been doing since you know 1986 when I, when I started my first job um, as an engineer so, so developing all sorts of different things from you know simple lighting applications through to you know I, I was involved with the development of a safety critical driver interface for tilt trains in in Queensland so, oh, wow. so quite a broad range of many
0: and varied things. Conversations at the College will be back soon. With so many great schools on the Gold Coast, it can be hard to find the one that best suits the needs of you as parents and also your child's. On Thursday, May 19, St. Stephen's College is holding its Twilight Showcase, where you can experience our modern campus, enjoy a science show, watch sporting demonstrations, musical performances, and tour our state-of-the-art classrooms. To register your interest in attending, visit our website at ststephenscollege.net.au. St Stephen's College, discover the difference. <laughs> so, what made you take that that next step from uh, being an engineer into priesthood? I think it's
1: important to acknowledge that you know, being uh, having a Christian faith is is something that we can all do. So, I don't see them as moving from one to the other, but really just perhaps developing and embracing something that was already there. I mean, as I said, I'm still working in my own business as, a, as an engineer, so still involved with developing of electronic products. But, of course, my, my faith was also an important part of who I was, which really kind of started to blossom, I suppose, when I was in year 10 at school. And a friend of mine invited me along to a, an Anglican church service and so it became something that I became fascinated with, and and became more involved with, uh, and ultimately, you know, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Hey, I think you'd make a make a, a good priest." I actually laughed in his face, but still, uh, <laughs> so but um, but he thought it would be that I'd make a good candidate, and I suppose
0: you know the rest is a little bit history. Wow! Now. You talk about faith, and when you look at the news, it's increasingly full of negative stories. Yet you know, we've had major events lately: we've had flood crisis, we've had droughts in certain areas, the war, obviously, in in Russia and the Ukraine. Do these factors increase patronage to church services? You think?
1: Uh, I think sometimes yes, and and sometimes I think you just see a deepening of people's faith. So, so yes, you know, we have certainly seen people. Um, who, who do feel some comfort uh, in, in being involved with worship in church and so on at times when there are crises. For example, um, during some of the lockdowns over the last couple of years when we were live streaming church services rather than having them in person, you know, I had more people connecting with those services than I ever had people present. So I think there was certainly people who were, who were keen to make some connection with God, to make some connection uh, with a worshipping group. So, so yes, I think there has been uh, some increases, um, but I think there's also this depth of faith increase as well. So, so even if people are not worshipping in, in a public worship service, um, I think there is still an increase in faith as such. So, so it is an interesting time. And, and whilst I do appreciate you, know, you saying that there's lots of negative things in the news, it's amazing when you start digging into some of those stories that you still see hope you still see positivity, you still yeah. see you know people doing good things. And one of the things the students will speak about through our chapel times here at school is that I always try to spend some time looking at those good and positive things that are happening. And And you mentioned, for example, the the recent floods, for example. Uh, and and in that, we see um, people who are just random strangers just going and helping out. You know, there was this great story about this young man who had spent three years saving money to buy his first car. Yes,
0: yeah, so I heard about that. Exactly.
1: And, and so he just drives his car down and hands it to somebody who... Was struggling because they didn't have one. So, so yes, the news has been filled with those with those stories. But I think alongside those are people still doing good things. You know, doing the right thing and and caring for other people. Okay, so. Sometimes the the worst in, in nature brings out the
0: best in people.
1: Exactly, and I think it's just that that is part of our nature. You know, if you see someone struggling or suffering, there's an an innate part of us that just wants to reach out and help them. So whilst, yes, you see that as people worshiping and wanting to pray for others and and for circumstances where they feel powerless and helpless and and unable to, to do anything in person, So you do see an increase in that, but at the same time, you see people just
0: outdoing it anyway. I actually saw uh, something on the news. It was a couple of weeks ago, and it was in Ukraine. And this couple were engaged, and they'd been engaged for quite a while. And obviously with the war, it it put a hold on that. But they got married anyway. They decided to go through with the service. And the wife was like, her whole attitude was, well, we're not going to let it ruin us. So they actually had all their wedding photos with the ruins of buildings in the background and there's bombing in the distance, and it, they were just not oblivious to it, but they were like, we're not going to let this ruin our day. And they still made it their special day in a very unique way. And you, you watch that, and you thought, that was fantastic. They're in the middle of a war zone, and yet they're determined to, to be married, but to make it their day still. And I thought, that's really lovely. Hope, hope is a powerful thing. Yeah. And, and you know what you see there is hope. And, and let's be honest,
1: schools are about hope. You know, the reason that schools exist is to is to develop and 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 educate young people who are the future. So, you know, schools are inherently in the hope business. And and certainly when you see stories like that, there is hope in the middle of things which, you know, are not so positive. So yeah. so hope you should never underestimate and and is a very very powerful thing. How important is faith? Faith, I think because it is so closely linked to hope is really important because It does. You know, faith does give us that hope of, you know, a a purpose, you know, a reason for being here, an understanding of where we fit within the world, uh, and obviously, you know, ultimately, um, something for the future as well. So, So faith is, in my opinion, really important, and you do see that a lot in the lives of people who are suffering or struggling, those people who do have faith you know seem to be able to cope better than those people who don't. So faith is is really very important for all of
0: the reasons that I've just mentioned. Yeah. What do you like doing in your spare time? So when you're not father Andrew, what what what, what do you like to do? <laughs> spare time. What is this thing you speak of, Rick? <laughs> I know. Um I know. between being a priest and, and, and an engineer there's not much spare time. Yeah, and and
1: family and everything yeah. else. Well, some of the things I do enjoy doing is I I do I do like reading. So when I have, and, and in fact, I just like reading novels. So, you know, not not anything that's too heavy and academic. So I do like reading when I get the chance. And so often over the school holidays, mainly the Christmas school holidays, I'll I'll sit down with a good book and, and get through those. I'm also rather a fan of motorsport. So, but of course, there's not too much motorsport happening over the Christmas holidays, but but I do like to, you know, sort of keep up and, and watch as much motorsport, particularly car racing. I'm not I think the guys on motorbikes are just nuts but uh, no no (laughs) no no. comment from me (laughs) yes but no nothing against people who ride motorbikes of course but um but you know watching those guys out on a track you just go well you know at least in a car you've got something around you yes but but on a motorbike
0: sometimes I have that thought when I'm traveling down the M onto my motorbike as well it's like I,
1: I, I understand yes um as I said not that I've got anything against motorcycle racing but but I think you know for me it's just you know so I enjoy watching a bit of motorsport so I, I have got some other hobbies that i'm trying to develop you know one of them bizarrely is actually calligraphy calligraphy uh, calligraphy oh, wow. you know the fine writing yeah. and uh, and so my um, my family uh, it's probably 12 months ago now got me a little course and i went off and did a a couple of hours with somebody sort of learning some calligraphy but haven't had a lot of time to to sit down and actually develop it further but how hard is that with those strokes because it looks quite quite intricate there's there's only about half a dozen actual strokes, and all of the letters are basically put together with those. So it is oh. just about you know mastering those. I mean, obviously you can embellish and put flourishes and and stuff, but um, but there's only a couple of basic strokes that make up virtually all of the letters. So once you've kind of mastered those, it's then just about trying to get spacing right and size right and things like that. But Interesting enough, it's kind of linked to what I do as a priest anyway. Because you know, if you do a baptism, there's a certificate. If you do a a wedding, there's a certificate. So so it's nice to be able to have some pretty writing or something to put on them. So that's partly why. But but it was actually my science teacher at high school who was into calligraphy, oh, okay. and I did a little bit, but then just again didn't. Didn't find enough time, or, or make enough time, or set aside enough time to actually do it further. So, but that's something that I'd like to do if I can put aside a little bit more time for it.
0: I'll have to get you to help me uh, develop a new signature. <laughs> very good, and ours very hard to do sometimes. <laughs> yes. Calligraphy will come in handy. Now you mentioned you're a motorsport enthusiast, Saint Stephen's College has produced some wonderful race car drivers and like Scott McLaughlin is just the one that comes straight off the tongue uh, who's actually rumoured to be coming back to race at Bathurst this year. Yes, he was supposed to
1: come back last year but um, because of restrictions with travel etc and, and the changing date of Bathurst as well uh, he wasn't able to make it but yes, he's um, he's rumoured or, or, or they believe he's coming back for this year which will be which will be great to see. Now he was obviously a former student at St Stephen's College what was he like at school? Um he actually left in year 10 because he went off and did a trade but he was he was a pretty quiet kid really but um, but he was also pretty good at sport he used to play rugby and and he was involved with karting in those days okay. and i remember one of the sports dinners he um he brought his kart along which was pretty exciting and you know all of the um, motor racing enthusiasts aka revheads were all sort of ogling at his um at his go-kart but uh, but he was a, a relatively quiet sort of kid at school. So, but uh, but as I said, he he finished in year ten and went off and did a trade. So he, he can actually work on the cars. He's a uh, he's a trade a metalwork. You know, he can oh, go okay. and weld and do all that sort of stuff. And and in the early days of his supercars career, he would work on the car during the week and then go and race it on the weekend. <laughs>
0: That's a talent to have in racing, I can absolutely. tell you. Absolutely, absolutely. Now. It's not just him, I understand. That the college has a lot of talent in the pool ready to ready to jump. Oh, absolutely.
1: So we've got quite a few involved with motorsport. We've got young Aaron Seaton, who's currently racing in the Super Two Series and Supercars in Australia. Now yeah,
0: he's related to Glenn Seaton, I understand.
1: Indeed, yes. Yeah. So, um, so he's wow. uh, he's got some motor racing pedigree, shall we say? Talking about motor racing pedigree, we had uh, Tony Longhurst, who's also a supercar, uh, an ex Supercars driver, who was actually one of our college board members for a number of years. Oh wow! So you know, even even on the board, we've had people. Uh, but other students, we've got Hunter McIlroy, who's an old scholar uh, who's racing in the Indy Light Series in the US. So. So sort of is on a a trajectory to join Scott McLaughlin in IndyCars. We've got a couple of girls who are kind of playing in the motorsport arena as well. So so we do have quite a few students and, and even, I guess, families who have got a connection with motor racing. Sepranich family. They run. Dad runs the um, metal fabrication group that make a lot of the roll cages and safety parts for for supercars. And was involved with the development of the suspension for the super Utes. Oh wow! Brianna Baird was a student here. Her father is actually Craig Baird, who is the current supercars driver. You know, racing observer. So, so we've got some some pretty lots of connections with uh,
0: with motorsport, which is tons of fun. What's it like for you? watching them develop as race car drivers. And we've got uh, Ryder Quinn, who's the the college captain this year. What's it like seeing them on television or succeeding, knowing that at some point you've helped them along their journey?
1: Well, whether I've helped them on their racing
0: journey, I don't know. Well, you've encouraged them along their
1: journey. (laughs) Well, certainly on their life journey, but uh, if not necessarily. I mean, it's always good fun. I mean, it's not just... I mean, I guess I've got an interest in motorsport, so, so I rather enjoy seeing those old scholars and I guess current students who get involved with motorsport because it's something that, you know, I'm passionate about. But, but we have so many of our students who are involved with so many things, not just in the sports arena, but, you know, we see people going off and doing incredible work in other areas. You know, we've got one of our foundation students, Mia Dowd, who is an opera singer. So, you know, we've got, and she's been overseas and, and pursuing her Her dream there so so we've got people involved with so many different things but but I guess for me as I said having an interest in motorsport it's it's a ton of fun to watching these guys and girls out there on the track plying their craft and and doing something which you know I enjoy watching so yeah it's 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 good fun and and you're right to be able to to have been a part of that journey you know kind of makes you feel like they're mine you know They're, they're ours because they're they've got the old scholar
0: stamp or current student stamp of St Stephen's College and like you said you know having taught a lot of these students over the years what's it like looking at their success overall Does, is, is it a proud kind of feeling you know so you see them when they come through for example in prep and and, and whatnot and then you see them graduate in year 12 and and having taught them or been a part of their their journey through school their entire life what's it like when they actually leave the gates for the first time well, when they leave the gates it's
1: always an emotional thing because obviously you do develop a, a connection and a bond with those students. But it's also an exciting thing to to see, you know, we we've we've done everything we can to to develop them as young people and 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 hopefully give them all the skills that they need, not just academically but life skills and so on as well. Uh, and then to go see them head off and do incredible things. You know, you, it's just great to ha- have those stories whether it be um stories of of success in in whatever area or or just their Development as families, and you know, all those sorts of things are always very exciting. And you know, some of my favourite phone calls are when you have an old scholar who contacts you and said, "Hey, look, we we're looking to get married, and we'd really love you to be part of that." Or you know, we've we've just had a baby, and and we'd really like you to be involved with their baptism. So you know, I've got an old scholar's wedding coming up in a few months' time, and it's just lovely to be part of that because it's it's yes, you know, success in in their careers or their or their chosen endeavors is great, but but to also see you know that that kind of next generation. I spoke about hope before, and and seeing these people going out and starting their own families and and, and getting married and having children and and, and all of those things. There's also just a, a wonderful feeling, and in in a sense you feel like a parent. You know you've you've got you know obviously we've got a few. Th- 1,500 or 1,200 little children here that are part of our family. And to see those young people develop and go on, it's its just like, you know, your own kids seeing them developing and, and having success in life and in all aspects of their life.
0: I can imagine. Father Andrew, thank you very much for your time and thank you for being part of our very first podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. As I said, I'll wait for the ribbon. It's in the mail, I can assure you. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the College. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, feel free to reach out through our social media channels and we look forward to you tuning in to our next conversation.